1: FM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and welcome to Tech Talk this morning. I'll be speaking with Saifi Akhtar this morning. He has recently been appointed as the CEO of Batama Digital. No stranger to tech, no stranger to problem solving. He was involved in helping to get a whole bunch of businesses up and running, including uh, Grab here in Malaysia. Now, Saifi, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much, Rich. How are you today? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. So you uh, helped Uber's entry to Malaysia's market back in 2014 and GrabCar's entry into Malaysia's market in 2015. You do keep yourself busy, don't you?
0: Yes, yes, certainly. Uh, Those were really interesting times for me. And uh, it was actually my first... Uh, interaction with the, with, with the tech business. Um, right. and, you know, prior to that, I was involved in, um, I would say more traditional business, uh, businesses, including and uh, and, and hospitality. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I do keep myself busy. You got that right. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I grew up in middle-class Singapore, had an educator mother and an entrepreneur father. So that was quite a good combination. Oh, wow, uh, yes. Um, and so I was always seeking all kinds of uh, opportunities and looking for ways to exchange value, right? So, you know, there's another mm-hmm. that's a way of, of saying make money. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least
1: you're honest, you know? Okay, well, mm-hmm. well let, let's look at that and, and that background and then your first involvement with tech. And mm-hmm. uh, subsequently to that then, did that spark some bigger interest in you, ov- obviously? And, and how did that interest grow?
0: Yeah. So um, the, the interest grew from so being being in Singapore, I, I, I was blessed to have a great foundation. Uh, I was I were, you know Singapore has a great education system, and I mm-hmm. think uh, those are some of the things that uh, I wish more countries could offer their citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it was it was also a very competitive environment. So I, I knew that if I if I wanted to get somewhere and get there quick, I really had to get good at uh, setting myself apart from the rest. Uh, of my cohort and right. looking at, 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 at things that I could do that were unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I decided to do was, you know, actually get good at uh, at doing all sorts of smaller businesses. So I started mm-hmm. in school trading uh, magazines, uh, pens, uh, and at that time Nokia and Ericsson phones uh, back in, back in the late '90s and early 2000s. Okay. Uh, and and that started to spark my interest in um, I would say specifically the the underserved overseas market because phones in particular, what I used to do was buy them from my schoolmates mm-hmm. and sell them to foreign workers. Okay, okay. Okay. And these were foreign workers who were exporting these phones to Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and so on. Interesting. And I started to learn a lot more about the rest of the world yeah. and how, uh, you know, our, our, this the goods that are no, no longer used to us. Uh, mm-hmm they are luxury goods, right? Mm-hmm. And I started to understand that, you know what, if I really want to do something impactful, I need to go beyond Singapore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need to start understanding how I can add value to, to people across the globe. Um, so where that took me was, of course, I had to go and uh, uh, get educated. And so I read, I read law in, in, in London. Mm. And uh, while I was there, I, uh, I didn't stop doing business. So I, what I used to do was I, I would host uh, Malaysian and Indonesian guests, uh, and and drive them around and get some pocket money from that. Uh, and and uh, what happens next is I, I then gained an interest uh, to come back to Malaysia, yeah. uh, to to start a business here. So, um, I, I entered F&B first. Uh, mm-hmm. to, I ran a restaurant called uh, Kelantan Delights, uh, in the in the in the early 2010s. And I used to have customers that were having trouble traveling to our restaurant. Okay. Mm, mm. And I was wondering why we didn't have an Edison Lee equivalent in, in Malaysia. Right. Yep, yep, and yep. Edison Lee is a, literally a, a business taxi service in London. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and most of the accounts are, are big companies like law firms and accounting firms and so on. Right. Um, so I explored getting licensed to create an Edison Lee, but, uh, that there was no licensing framework or availability at that time that would allow me to set up something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came across uh, Uber. <laughs> so uh, Uber was was did a soft launch in 2013 and I was watching them really closely, looking at what they were trying to do. And yeah. then 2014 uh, I, I approached them and started talking about uh, how I could participate. And for me it was really just about, you know, helping people uh, rely on public transportation. Instead right, right. Of the, the, the private vehicles. I remember just to go back to around that same
1: period as well. I mean, I've, I've been living here quite some time now, I think 16 years this year. Mm-hmm. And um, very early on, I realized that taxis were a problem getting you know, to particular places were a problem. Uh, And and the monopoly that uh, some of these taxi companies had at the time, you know, I'd be taking the LRT or the MRT to somewhere like uh, Kota Damansara Mm -hmm. and and wanting to get somewhere nearby. And I would have to be sharing my cab with somebody else. And Even just getting that cab and have to negotiate the price, and in my head I'm thinking, why hasn't somebody solved this issue yet? And then, of course, just a few months later, we end up with Uber,
0: and then grab a few days, uh, a few, uh, a, a little while afterwards, right? Indeed, indeed. And you know, the interesting thing is, uh, I, I believe my taxi started here in That's Malaysia right. before, before Uber, Uber did. Yeah. Uh, what Uber did was they, they came in and. From day one, they were, they were taking a regulatory light approach, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very nice way of saying just hustling and doing whatever the hell they wanted, right? Yeah. So, so they, they, uh, they, they started with, with private cars, whereas my taxi was on uh, licensed uh, red and white cabs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that essentially started to allow Uber to grow faster. Right, and so you know, my taxi had to catch up and launch a private car option as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, the 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 thing about both those businesses is they taught me a few lessons uh, around um, you know growing a global tech startup. Uh, you know, Uber was uh, launched out of uh, Silicon Valley. And they were just going all across the world at such a rapid pace. I've never seen anything like that. Right. In the, in the previous business I was running in Clanton Delights, uh, we were trying to get from one to three outlets, and it was so difficult. Right. Yeah. And yeah. these guys were launching countries every other week. You know. Right. And yeah. so uh, I got really close to the team there, the management team, both uh, locally and internationally as well. Uh, and and there was so much insights uh, that that I got from them, especially about how they thought about. Uh, uh growing the business and how they thought about engaging with uh with the public sector okay okay well let, let's just very quickly drill down on that then you know
1: the, the two or three things that you learn off the top of your head from the uber team just what were they just kind of bullet point them for me
0: Okay, so the first one is that uh, in order to grow, you have to know your uh, users very well and you need to grow in very specific uh, customer bases, right? right? So with Uber, for example, when we launched, uh, we were just focusing on Bangsa, Montiara, and the Golden Triangle. That's it, right? Yep, we, didn't yep. try, we didn't try to launch it nationwide on day one, yep. okay? And then we learned that people were not really so keen on the luxury S class seven series and so on. They yeah. wanted to actually have an affordable uh, uh, option and, and they were happy to sit in my Vs and Xias as mm. long as it was affordable and reliable. So mm. very quickly after learning from the demo, from the customers, they launched X. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that, that, that was brilliant. Uh, the third thing that I learned, which is, uh, which was really important is that in order to grow anything particularly disruptive in Malaysia and in any other country as well, you have to respect and work closely with the regulators. Right. <laughs> because if if you don't do that, then uh, you know spanners get thrown in the works very early on, and then there's there's a bit of a difficult journey to uh, recover from that. Okay. So uh, uh, these were some of the top three things that I learned, and it kind of has. Uh, informed or has in, in inspired what I'm doing now, to be honest. Mm, mm. okay, so let's move on then a little bit. I mean, I,
1: I'm looking at you know Pratama Digital. They incorporated in eighty four uh, mm-hmm. but previously known as Sinotop, obviously that was uh, something a little bit different. Uh, textile manufacturers, that was what they were involved with and originally. Yep. they pivoted. Now you're with them. Uh, what are your expectations when you? You've you've been there a while before, though. You know, I mean, you've been with PDB for a while, but it, it's the CEO uh, position is fairly recent to you, right?
0: That's right. That's right. right. So I, I I was there earlier um, advising this pivot and uh, helping the, the the board and, and, and uh, shareholders as well understand I mean, that for me is, it seems like one of the you know the biggest pivots I've read about. You know, from textiles to digital yeah i mean textiles uh, was was a sunset business you know it's getting hyper competitive with the likes of uh, you know fast fashion and 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 uh, you know you start to see the growth of uh, brands like sheen as well yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so Sinotop, primarily was in the business of manufacturing fabric and they had a, a consumer brand called john master uh-huh. uh, which is a which is a workwear brand from uh, i think the 80s and 90s and uh, it started to it started to decline, and so the the uh, the, the shareholders and board were looking to pivot into uh, a growth space. So they did um, try uh, their hand at I think development as in real estate development and so on, uh, and it, it didn't re- return the kind of uh, growth that they were looking for. Mm. And uh, naturally, uh, you know, digital has to be something that is considered. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I came in and I and I had had some conversations uh, with with some of the key decision makers and said, look, uh, don't just look at digital like every other company. Don't just look at payments. Don't just look at uh, you know websites and apps and whatnot. Right? Um, mm-hmm. When you look at digital, you have to uh, look look at uh, some of these spaces that uh, have low competition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're going into spaces that are highly competitive. And if there's any interest from venture capital at fueling that space, uh, as a public research company, you can't get in there. Right. Okay? Yeah. Uh, because you do, you are going to have your wings clipped. You have to grow sustainably. Uh, whereas these, these venture capital backed startups are not going to have their wings clipped. They can grow at any cost, right? Mm-hmm. this just have to raise capital and, 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 uh, and capture as much of the market as possible. So right. on that basis, my advice was: look, government digitalization, That's that's a space that venture capital doesn't want to go uh, near, uh, typically because it is uh, a long sales cycle and uh, the returns are sometimes uh, not really uh, foreseeable, at least from the, from the stance of venture capital. Um, and at the same time, they aren't enough. Players in this space that Mm -hmm. are taking the approach that we are taking, which is very much a non-exclusive, non-tender, non-contract kind of a a, 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 a approach, where we are encouraging government to um, to appoint or allow more than one player to solve the same uh, uh, pool of problems. Interesting approach. That's right. So by see with with Uber and Grab. um, Grab wouldn't be what it was today if Uber didn't exist. Right, yeah. for sure. You, you need to have competition. You need mm-hmm. to have uh, uh, someone to pit yourself against and, 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 and really uh, uh, you know, target to beat the other person, right? So you have Ferrari, Lamborghini. It's quite <laughs> a, a, mind sh- uh, sh- uh, a mindset shift,
1: I'd imagine, for some of these government-linked companies. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the sneaky thing here is that I know... At least from a organisational standpoint, that it's going to be almost impossible for them mm. uh, to to pivot in the way that we have, and, uh, and and attack the market in the same way that we are going to. Okay, hold that thought, Saifi, Let's take a short break. Sure.
1: Okay, folks, I'm on the phone with Saifi Akhtar. He has recently been appointed as CEO of Pratama Digital. Um, he was also involved in Uber's entry into Malaysia's market back in 2014, Grabcar's entry into Malaysia's market in 2015, uh, and also working on creating an Islamic digital bank for the financially underserved here in Malaysia. That's correct, right, Saifi?
0: Yes, yes, certainly. You're right. You've got it on point. More on that when we
1: come back. You tune into Tech Talk here on BFM 89.9 the business station
0: building future malaysia bfm 89.9 the business station
1: FM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm on the phone with Saifi Akhtar. This is a tech talk, of course. He's recently been appointed CEO of Bratama uh, Digital. Uh, spoke to him a little bit about his background, his involvement with the world of tech and entrepreneurship and his movement to PDB and his expectations there. Saifi, I want to pick your brains a little bit um, about um, the tech space here in Malaysia. Um what we've got, what we don't have, how we need to fill the gaps, and that all-important question that we've been asking for decades: How do we prevent brain drain in the tech space?
0: Just a simple question, you know. No yes. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> good, good question though. So, um, from from my perspective, the first thing I would like to say is we have a great local talent base. Mm. So we, we have uh, people in the tech space uh, that are really hungry for opportunities. And the thing about tech is that it's not like uh, like law or medicine where you know you, you, you have a, a few years of studying and then you get into uh, practice and then you know the, in terms of your upskilling, it takes decades, right? Right, yeah. Whereas with, with, with tech, there are literally new things to learn every few weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so what our talent base needs is, you know, opportunities to participate in, in, in the uh, in the business sector, but they also need opportunities to develop uh, and development is achieved through challenges. Right. So if we have businesses that are not solving problems that are big enough, or if they are copycat businesses, okay, yeah. If yeah. they are just telling their tech team, uh, hey, look at this other business in the in the US, can you just build a copy here in Malaysia? Right. If you're doing things like that, then you're not going to be challenging, engaging, and inspiring. Exactly.
1: Uh, and then you get people rolling their eyes saying, well, you know, can't, can't we do something original for once?
0: Exactly. And you know what? This this is a really good point. So this morning on Twitter, uh, I, I, I saw this thread around uh, some guys in the US discussing uh, which Airplane is best to buy for five hundred thousand US dollars that can fit six people, and it just struck me, right, that you know on the other side of the world, (laughs) uh, you have a middle class, right, that is so completely different from here in Malaysia. So how can anything that's built in the US be straight away natively applicable to here in Malaysia? It's not. And vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So we need to start getting good at uh, building businesses for ourselves. Yeah. But the challenge is this. Malaysia is, on the grand scale of things, a very small country. Mm, mm. Okay? So the thing about about tech is that everyone wants, uh, you know, your hundreds of millions of, uh, of a user base. Okay? Mm, mm. Um, but it doesn't matter. We still have problems to solve and we still have a talent base that needs to be Uh, engaged uh, and and involved in doing this. Mm. So I think um, uh, businesses, it starts at the top with businesses that are selecting the right problems to solve. Okay. So I like to say, instead of trying to get coffee to me faster, uh, why don't we look at digital inclusion, financial inclusion, uh, you know, financial security, uh, why don't we look at uh, education, healthcare, right? So these th- these are things that um, are still largely ignored uh, because, you know, uh, again, it is it is, these are particularly challenging businesses to go into. But I think if we had uh, more participate participation in this sector, uh, we definitely are going to retain this talent, and we're going to start to see them uh, really. Uh, you know, upskill and and shine beyond what we expect or or we would imagine
1: of them. I think you're right on what what you've just said, you know, healthcare, banking, huge issues that obviously have problems here in Malaysia, as as does everywhere. But we know we have our own set of problems. And I think it's that kind of hands off approach, like you mentioned, it's too big of a problem, we can't fix this. And it is kind of, the burying the head in the sand kind of, you know, scenario, which mm-hmm. is not going to work for a country that wants to move forward
0: and put itself on an international playing field. Indeed, indeed, you're right. Uh, I think I think burying the head in the sand is, is perhaps uh, not really accurate. I think there's a lot of interest and motivation from the public mm-hmm. sector uh, to solve some of these uh, issues. But the thing is, uh, government is risk averse. Okay. Yes. government yes. is supposed to protect interests of citizens first and foremost. Yes. And on that grand scheme of things, Malaysia is one of the best places in the world to live. Trust me, I've lived in a few countries. <laughs> Malaysia, you know, for all the complaints that we have on social media and whatnot, is actually a brilliant place to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I um, love it here, Sophie. I, I wouldn't exactly. be anywhere else, I'll be honest. Exactly. So, so, so there are many things that are going right, okay? Yeah. It's yeah. just that the, the private sector... Needs to now uh, engage with government to solve some of these bigger problems in a way which is a lot more flexible and competitive. Right, okay. So, so if we can solve that, then we're going to kill a few birds with one stone, including the uh, re- retention of talent problem. All right. We are running out of time, but I am
1: going to ask you a couple more questions before we do that because I might have to get you back on another show uh, to help <laughs> fill in some of these gaps because I've got so much to pick your brains about. Now, um, I think I'm going to have to make this the last question, though. But let's talk about banking, right, mm-hmm. in Malaysia and the Asian region, of course, working on an Islamic digital bank for the financially underserved in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Just give me five minutes about that. Tell me why you think it's an important thing. Neobanking is not a new thing uh, in, in some countries. It's been around for a few years now. Uh, what what seems to be the issue here in Malaysia?
0: Okay, so the the let's get one thing straight. Neo banking or digital banking is the same thing. Yeah. And the only reason why we have or we need to launch a new framework for digital banks is because existing banks aren't doing enough. Right. Okay? Yep. So let's get it out of the way, right? So the, 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 if, if existing banks were... Uh, uh, addressing some of the social issues that we have and uh, and, and addressing financial inclusion in an in a, in a aggressive and, I would say, inclusive manner, then we would not, we not, would not need digital banks. I so agree, yeah. we have digital banks and they are supposed to serve a very specific need. Mm-hmm. And Bank Negara has uh, set that out very clearly in their framework. It's supposed to address financial inclusion and financially underserved individuals. Right. The only issue with that is that the definition of financially underserved uh, is very wide when it comes to uh, the digital banking framework. And I I fear that there are some some definitions that are a bit of a low-hanging fruit, uh, especially when it comes to some of the uh, urban populace, uh, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, the youth, right? Yeah. Uh, I, whom I feel are very well served by e-wallets already. Mm. Uh, but some of the digital banking contenders are looking at them as underserved as well, right? right. So um, I think that the the, the digital banks um, have, have a really tough road ahead of them uh, because they are entering a highly regulated space. Mm-hmm. They are going to be regulated uh, and watched as closely as your incumbent banks, mm. uh, but they are expected to grow like a fintech. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a challenge, right? And they and they have to achieve sustainability in the first five years, okay? Yeah, uh, that's another challenge because uh, if they don't get the model right and they don't learn very quickly, then uh, they're going to have to seek extensions, and you know, perhaps at that point, uh, there's going to be a bit of uh, uh, confusion, right? Uh, but I, I, the other thing that I I was hoping to see more of was you know, I, I know there's a lot of uh, hiring going on um, and a lot of the hires seem to be coming from the existing banking sector. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was hoping to see a lot more uh, uh, participation from um, non-banking backgrounds. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because then you would take a different perspective. Correct. Okay. Yes. So you'd, you'd see a different angle on things. Exactly. So I'm starting to to to, to fear that uh, because of the way the framework or regulation is set up, uh, and, and I and rightly so. Again, you know, um, the regulator is there to protect the rights of uh, of the citizens, right? Mm. I I I fear that we may just have banking 2.0, uh, and not really in the best way possible. Okay, <laughs> Saifi, thank you so much for that. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that was that was a great chat. Um. Folks, I've been on the phone with Saifi Akhtar. He is the CEO of Pratama Digital. If you did miss any part of this show and this discussion, please download the podcast wherever you can. Uh, I recommend the BFM app. It's available on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. I'm sure I'll be speaking to uh, Saifi again in the near future. Saifi, thanks so much for that.
0: Very welcome, Rich. I hope that you have a good day ahead and happy to speak anytime about digitalization. Brilliant. Folks,
1: this has been Tech Talk here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.